Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. Brought to you by, brought to you by Daryl Reed. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. Good morning, everybody. You got your Bible with you, and you know where to turn. Yeah, well, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to start out by just uh, doing a quick refresh on, on two weeks ago. Uh, Chris referenced it earlier, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I just want to recap there because it's really important, I think, and then we're going to carry on. We're going to read uh, from verses 19 to verse 30. But let's start here in Philippians 2 verse 12. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So if you remember, if you were here two weeks ago, what I I did was I I gave an analogy of working out your own salvation, kind of being like a dance where you're being led and uh, and you're moving with the Holy Spirit as he guides you and as as he leads you. So we got these different extremes. On this side, we got this extreme that says, but Daryl, the scripture says... And not only the scripture, but Jesus said, it is finished. And so I don't have to do anything because Jesus did it all. You know, I I can't get saved by my works. I can't earn my salvation. It's by the grace of God alone that I get saved. And so there's nothing I can do. I mean, God even called us human beings, not human doings. So I just need to just be I mean, I I know the scripture says I need to change the world, the Great Commission. But, you know, because God is so good, I get to do that from the comfort of my lazy boy. I just get to hang out playing Xbox, PS5, whatever it is. And as I just sit on my couch doing nothing, I get to change the world simultaneously by doing absolutely nothing. (laughs) That's obviously all wrong. That's not good. Not good theology. Working out your salvation is not doing nothing. If we go back to the metaphor of the dance, that would be a ballroom dance with one person saying, all right, well, if you want to, if you want to move me, and if you want me to move with you, you're going to have to pick me up and carry me because I'm not allowed to do anything. It's only Jesus. And so we become this dead weight in the ballroom dance. And uh, I think your feet that are dangling on the floor will probably trip up your dance partner and you'll end up having a crash. See, when you try to work out your salvation by doing absolutely nothing, well, you're going to end up having a crash. It's not going to go well. That's not how you should work out your salvation. On the other side here, Daryl, it says, work out your salvation. I have got to work. The Bible said work, and so I need to work. Now, I know I entered into salvation by the, the grace and the love of Jesus alone, but now I've got to do something. Now I've got to work. Now I've got to strive. Daryl, you even said a couple of weeks ago that we need to strive, and so now it's about my works. It's about my effort. It's about me doing a whole bunch of stuff because I need to work for my salvation. I need to work to earn my continual relationship with Jesus. Now, we know that that's not true, is it? No, we, we, we covered it two weeks back. We enter into salvation by the grace of God alone, and we remain in relationship with Him because of His grace, His love for us. On this extreme, it's, well, I need to do everything. I, I've got to take control of my life. And what ends up happening when we come to this extreme of it's all about my works is we then... We put these blinkers on and we, we, we block our ears to hear his voice. 
And so in this extreme, the, the, the ballroom dance of working out your salvation becomes a solo dance. And so Holy Spirit's trying to lead you in the dance, and he's going that way, and you're going this way, doing your own little solo dance. But I'm working, and I'm doing stuff, and it's, it's, I'm doing a lot of stuff. And so what we do is we appease our conscience of disobedience um, because, well, I'm trying. I'm doing my best, Daryl. Really, I'm giving it my everything. This is wrong. This is not how we work out our salvation. I'm trying to do everything by ourselves and do a solo dance. So where do we find the truth? The truth is here in the middle of these two extremes where the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And we listen when he speaks. The Holy Spirit guides us. And we follow as he guides. The Holy Spirit instructs us. And we obey as he instructs us. And so as we're in this posture of holding on to him, clinging on to him, as he speaks, we listen. As he guides, we follow. As he instructs, we obey. And as we do that, we have a beautiful dance called life of working out our own salvation as he guides and leads us and we then move together as one. This is Galatians 5 verse 25, that we might keep in step with the Holy Spirit. See, over here we're not stepping at all. We're just being lazy. <laughs> On this side, we're doing it all by ourselves. We're out of step because we're doing our own step. Over here, we're in step, following him as he guides us, as he leads us. All right, are you guys ready? We've got a lot of ground we're going to cover this morning. We're in chapter 2, verse 19 of Philippians. We're going to read all the way down to verse 30. You got your Bible? Let's go. Verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you send to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am, in, therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make, up, um, to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. We ended over there. This morning, we're going to finish Philippians chapter 2. So what we're going to do as we unpack these verses is there's a context in which Paul was writing to this church in Philippi, the Philippian church. There was a culture, there was a context, and, and so there's some things that are referenced, that are inferred, that are not necessarily clearly written, and we're going to dig into the culture of what's taking place in this community, and we're going to pull some truths out of the context, which hopefully are going to stir us and encourage us onto greater things. 
And so let's read again here, chapter 2, verse 20 to verse 22. It says, I have no one else like him, speaking of Timothy, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So we're seeing over here Paul like a father, Timothy like a son, working together for the sake of the gospel. And so the first section I want to talk about this morning is becoming fathers. Now when I say becoming fathers, ladies, I'm talking to you as well. Last week, Robbie in the second service, he was speaking mostly to the men. This morning I'm talking to all of us. But when I say becoming fathers, I'm speaking to everyone in the room. Sometimes in the scripture, uh, the, the text is, is in a more masculine form. Sometimes it's in a more feminine form. And so, hey, I'm okay being the bride of Christ because that's what the scripture says. And so if me as a man, I'm okay being the bride of Christ, then you as a lady, surely you've got to be okay with being called a son because often the scripture calls you a son. So we, we can't shift the scriptures and twist it and say, okay, well, now every time it says son, we're going to say sons and daughters. And then are we going to become the bride and the groom of Christ? I don't think so. <laughs> so, all right, I'm speaking to all of us when I say fathers, when I speak of, of sons. I'll try reference mothers and daughters, but then it becomes a bit clumsy. So becoming fathers. We need to become fathers. See, Paul has a number of people that relate to him as a spiritual father. We obviously know about Timothy, probably the most well-known example of, of a father and son spiritual relationship in the Scriptures. But in Titus, Titus chapter 1, verse 4, Titus is also referred to as a son of Paul. Paul says in Titus 1, 4, my true son in our common faith. We then see to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 15, Paul refers to the whole Corinthian church as his sons. He says, I became your father in Christ Jesus for the gospel. So Paul as a father to this whole church, the Corinthians. We then also see in Philemon chapter 1 verse 10, Onesimus. Paul says, Onesimus became my son while I was in chains, while he was in prison. He, he developed this relationship with Onesimus, became like a spiritual father to him. In Paul's various letters, he references over 30 people, sons, co-workers, fellow apostles. You see, I think in our, our very individual world that we live in, where we've become so independent, we read the gospel, we read the scriptures, and we think of Paul going about doing all of his amazing stuff in isolation. Okay, maybe he's got a sidekick every now and then, Batman and Robin. It's like, no, the context is he's in a community of believers. He's in relationship with multiple churches. There is connection, and he's doing this thing in community. He's not doing this thing by himself. And so over 30 references to different people that Paul's in relationship, ministering alongside, doing godly life with. And so we need spiritual fathers. We do. And we also need to become spiritual fathers. We need to mature and grow in the faith that we might be ones that can strengthen and encourage others. That we might be a strength, a source of support for those that are new in the faith. We need to be and become fathers. And we need fathers in our lives. 
So what's the role of a spiritual father? Well, we'll look to the scriptures. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. It says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So what do fathers do? Fathers encourage us. Fathers are a source of encouragement. That when you're feeling down, when you're feeling hopeless, you're feeling lost, a father comes alongside and encourages you. You can do this. You've got this. I believe in you. God created you for this. Fathers encourage. Fathers also comfort. You know, in difficult times, the trials of life, I mean, anyone go through any difficulties in life? I'm sure there's no one in this room. It's the other church that has difficulties. No difficulties here in this room. Come on, we all face different challenges, trials in life. As we go through these challenges, these tests, sometimes we just need some comfort. Sometimes we just need someone to talk to, and a father comes alongside and comforts you, tells you you're going to be okay. This is not easy, but, but you're going to get through. God's got you. God's holding you. He's for you. He's not against you. In times of grieving, when you, you, you lose something, maybe you lose a job, maybe you lose a, a loved one, the Holy Spirit is there, and the Father, spiritual fathers, Father God, a Father comes and he, he comforts you in that difficult time. He gives you hope and speaks hope into what seems to be a hopeless situation. A Father looks at the situation and says, there is always a solution and together we're going to find the solution. See, fathers comfort. That's what fathers do. Fathers urge us, says the Thessalonians. Fathers urge us to seek the Lord, that we will live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Remember that from a couple of weeks ago? Live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Fathers, urge us to seek the Lord, to go after him, to grow in him, that we will be devoted to him, that we won't get caught up with the things of the world, but that we'll be caught up with him. Fathers, urge us that we won't do this thing doing a solo dance all by yourself, or that you don't do absolutely nothing, us millennials changing the world from our lazy boy playing PS5. Like, fathers, urge us, no, come on, there's more within you. God created you for more. Stop being a lazy bum. Get off your lazy boy and go to the prayer meeting. Go and read the Bible. Go and do something for Jesus. Go to the outreach. You can do this. Fathers, urge sons and daughters to move with the Lord. Fathers, speak the word of God. Fathers, know scripture and fathers, speak scripture to sons, to daughters. Fathers, lead people to Jesus and not to themselves. That's what spiritual fathers do. I think it's important we clarify over here because unfortunately a lot of people in the church, they abuse this position of a spiritual father, a position of leadership, position of authority. And what they do is they then exploit it for their own good. That's not right. That's not scriptural. That's not biblical. A spiritual father leads people to Jesus. A spiritual father comforts and encourages people and urges them to Jesus not to themselves. 
See, a spiritual father that's drawing the focus and the attention to themselves, that's when we start to get into the, the realm of a false shepherd. That's not a good and godly thing. Father's point to Jesus. Verse 21 of Philippians chapter 2 says, Everyone looks to their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. See, fathers, fathers seek not just their own interests, but they, they seek and they pursue the interests of others. Fathers don't live a, a selfish, self-centered life, but a life of letting others flourish. Fathers are not intimidated by sons. Fathers are confident in who they are. I mean, it's the same as being a natural dad. I mean, what, what prepares you to be a natural dad? I mean, is there any, any natural dad in the room here where your wife was in labor and you're like, I've got this. I'm so ready for this. I was born for this. <laughs> Can you please stand up and raise your hand if there's anyone in the building? <laughs> no, moms have nine months of realizing there's something growing inside of their womb. And dads are like, in a moment, like, oh, there's a baby. <laughs> I don't know of any dad that felt like, I'm fully prepared and ready to now father a baby in the world. It's like, no, nothing prepares us until it happens and you find yourself holding a newborn child. Fingers so tiny, you're like, how do we not break these? You want me to put a baby girl on you and not break one of these little things? Like, how do you do this? I need help. My fingers are big and these fingers are small and all these small clothes. And how do you change a nappy? I've never done this before. <laughs> As we start to do it, we learn. As we become fathers, we, we grow and we mature and we learn how to father our children. Being a spiritual father is the same as we start to just love people, comfort people, encourage people, urge people on, pray for people, support people. As we start to do the things that fathers do, we grow and we mature and we, 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 we become better at doing them. I mean, have you ever watched a dad change a nappy for the first time? It's pretty clumsy, right? <laughs> but after the 500th time, it's like, I got this. <laughs> holding one on the hip and changing a diaper with one hand at the same time. It's like, it's dad skills. You develop these skills as we grow and mature as dads in the natural. And the same thing happens in the spiritual. And I think, why am I telling us about all of this? Because so many of us disqualify ourselves from being spiritual fathers. We say, well, I still need to do 75 years of Bible study before I can become a father. I still need to do you know, read the, the Bible from cover to cover at least a hundred times before I'm equipped enough to be a, a spiritual father. It's like, no, in the same way that nothing quite prepares you to be a dad until you are a dad, it's the same thing in the, being a spiritual dad. It's like nothing prepares you until you start to do it, until you find yourself in that position where you just find yourself, well, they're people in need. They're people that, that haven't walked with Jesus as long as I have, and maybe I've got something that they can learn from me. Maybe I can just encourage them on their journey. And we start to play the role of fathers. We need fathers in our lives. And we need to become fathers. See, I love this relationship between Paul and Timothy because Paul, a Jew, growing up, starting to become a rabbi, knowing the, the, the scripture, persecuting those that followed the way of Christ because he thought he was doing the godly thing. 
till Jesus interrupts his mission on the Damascus road and he gets saved. Realizes, oh, this is the way. Oh, Jesus is actually the Savior. Paul, a devout Jew. Timothy is a Gentile. He didn't grow up Jewish. He grew up probably serving some kind of pagan God. Total separation. Jews and Gentiles, they didn't get along well. There was division between them. And so what does the scripture say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14? But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jew, Gentile, has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. See, when it comes to spiritual relationships, no racial thing, no color thing, no cultural thing, no age thing should be a barrier that gets in the way of us encouraging, comforting, loving, being spiritual fathers. We see this in the scripture, this diversity in, in the way that they interrelated and interacted. See, we've seen the culture of the church. There was unity in their diversity. We need fathers. Some of us, like I mentioned earlier, we've disqualified ourselves. Or we haven't been doing the, the work of a father. We've got stuck over here on this extreme and said, well, I don't feel qualified and I don't know if I'm supposed to do anything and so I'm just a human being and so I'm just going to, you know, it's safe over here. Just stay in my box. Stay in my lane. Just safe zone. I'm not, I don't want to hurt someone's feelings and so best I don't do anything. I mean, I can see the need, but rather I'll just stay, stay here because what if I do something wrong? You see, the, the fear of the unknown paralyzing you. On the other extreme, we, we, we go off doing our own thing, not following the Holy Spirit. No, as spiritual fathers, as we work out our salvation with Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us, as we listen, as we follow, as we obey, he then teaches us that we might teach and show others. So I want to pray for us. I want to, I want to invite you to all stand because I don't want to wait until the end before I pray because then you're going to forget. And also this helps you to stay awake. <laughs> I wouldn't want to call you out if you were sleeping. You see, some of us have been called to be fathers, but we, we haven't stepped into that calling. And we need to repent. We need to say, Lord, will you forgive me Forgive me for not following you, obeying you, listening to you, and for, for just going down my own path, following my own journey, and not walking a life of obedience. So let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are the greatest Father that there ever is, ever has been, ever will be. What a great example we've got. Lord, none of us are perfect. No father is perfect. But Lord, yet you love us. You pour out your grace upon us. Lord, we see in the scriptures that we need spiritual fathers. Lord, help us to become fathers. Help us to grow. Help us to mature. Help us to become those that strengthen, that encourage, that comfort, that urge one another on, that we might live a life worthy of the gospel. So, Lord, if we've disqualified ourselves, help us to repent and turn away from that lie. Help us to realize the fullness of what you've given us in the form of Holy Spirit, that we can do this as we follow, as we obey, as you lead us and guide us.
Lord, help us to become spiritual fathers. Amen. You can take a seat. Becoming fathers. Now I want to switch and talk about becoming sons. You know, what's the one thing that has to happen before you can become a father? You have to be born, right? You've got to be a son. You can't be a father without being a son first. I mean, in, in our country, we, we know the truth that we're probably one of the most orphaned nations in the world. One of the most fatherless populations in the world. We need to change this. We need spiritual fathers. We need natural fathers. We need dads to take their role in the family and to be dads. But in the church, in the communities, we also need fathers. We need leaders, men and women, to rise up and be ones that care for others, that put others' interests above their own. We have a problem, and we need to, we need to be the solution to the problem in our nation. But we can't just point fingers and say, well, I don't have a spiritual father. And I've been part of this church for some years now, Daryl, and still I don't have a spiritual father. don't have a spiritual mother. I feel abandoned. I feel lonely. See, the problem is not so much in that there's a lack of fathers. There's a lack of fathers. No doubt about that. We need more fathers. But I think one of the biggest issues is that there's a lack of sons. Because you can't be fathered if you're not a son. See, if you don't posture yourself as a son in the house, well, you can't be fathered. I had to learn this myself. When I was a young, young Christian growing in the Lord, and, and I realized on a particular day there was, there was this encounter with Father God. And, and as I was in this place of like a worship encounter, all of a sudden it was like, like Top Gun. Hit the eject button and I was like, I was ejected from that, that, that encounter with the Lord. And I was like, what happened? And as I processed this with the Lord and, 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 and with some other people, I, I realized I haven't postured myself as a son. And because I haven't postured myself as a son, I've, I haven't got as strong of a connection with spiritual father as I should have. And my, my lack of connection with, spirit, with the spiritual father is impacting my connection with Father God. And so I realized I needed to repent. I needed to posture myself as a son under a father that I might have connection this way and connection that way. You see, when you don't posture yourself as a son, your connection with Father God gets a little bit mixed up. Some interference in the connection. We need to posture ourselves as sons. Because again, on this extreme, I did it my way. I'm working hard, but I'm doing it my way. Hey, leader. Hey, connect group leader. Hey, spiritual father. What do you think about this situation? You know, I think if you keep walking, Daryl, you're going to walk off the edge of the stage. And so you should stop and turn around. Okay, cool, that's good advice, but you know, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> Spiritual dad, what do you think about this decision and work? Should I, should I go this path or should I, should I go that path? Well, what is the Lord saying? Oh, I'm not sure, but you know, I, this is just what I want to do, and so I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to do this. And off you go again. Did it my way. 
You know, you're walking down the path and should I keep going down this way? You know, hey, son, daughter, be careful. There's a, there's a cliff edge. Be careful of the cliff edge. It's dangerous. That's a slippery slope. If you start doing that, you're, you're going to be on a downward slippery slope from there, which doesn't end well. You need to be careful. Don't walk that way. I encourage you, walk this way. Walk away from the cliff edge. Oh, no, but I've got this. and you know, It's me. I'm good. I'm cool. What do we call it when we, when we keep doing our own thing? We call it rebellion. Who wants to father a rebellious child? Nobody. No one wants to father a rebellious child. See, but as we posture ourselves as sons, let's see what Timothy does over here. Verse 22 to verse 23. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. See, Timothy proved himself. Does that mean that he did this extreme where he just worked and worked and worked? No, it means that he was faithful. It means he proved himself that he was able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. He was able to follow the instruction. He was able to obey. Whether that instruction from the Lord was coming from his spiritual father, Paul, or direct from the Lord, he had proved himself faithful. And because he'd proved himself faithful as a son, he was able to receive so much more from his spiritual father, Paul. See, one of the primary ways that the Lord ministers to us is through one another. When you just need to read the Bible to see what's the most common way that the Lord normally speaks, it's through one another. And so when we disconnected this way, there's, it impacts our connection with Him as well because we're cutting ourselves off from receiving what He has for us from one another. Paul proved, I mean, Timothy proved himself faithful. He carries on, and what does it say? As a son, he walked in rebellion. He did his own thing. Now, what does it say? As a son with his father, he served. See, sons serve. That's one of the primary ways we can position ourselves as spiritual sons. It's a little bit like Jesus. Remember about two or three weeks back? Jesus didn't exploit his role or his position as God when he came to earth. He didn't exploit that. But he came in low, he came in humbly, he came in as a servant, he came in as one who took the lowest of low positions and he washed people's feet. That's what we need to do as sons. Come in humbly, come in low. I mean, we all love arrogant children, right? <laughs> I don't know about your household, but arrogance doesn't go down well in my household. It gets addressed because it's not good. It's not nice. You see, as we position ourselves as servants, when we serve, serving sends you and fathers send. Timothy was serving his father and his father sent him. Sons serve and sons go. Sons submit to fathers. Sons walk in obedience. Obedience to Jesus and obedience to what fathers say. Otherwise we end up in rebellion. 
I mean, let's look at the, the story of David and Goliath. I'm sure I've shared this with most of you before. But what was David doing when he got to the battlefield to see Goliath? He was Uber Eats of the day. That's literally what he was. He was Uber Eats. He was following his father's instruction to take food resources to the battlefield. Feed your brothers. Take them food. Uber Eats. See, he was a son. He was sent by his father to do a simple, menial task. He followed. He didn't say, oh, Dad, send someone else, man. Just get, get Uber to do it. Like, I don't have to do this. No, he went as the son. He was obedient. He followed. As he's there delivering the food, he sees the uncircumcised Philistine. And we all know the story. He kills Goliath, and this is the launching pad for David to then become king over Israel. Serving opens doors to greatness. Philippians chapter 2, verse 29, speaking of Epaphroditus, it says, So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. See, sons not only welcome, but sons seek input from fathers. They posture themselves in a position to say, I need to learn from you. You've been to the school of hard knocks. I can see it. You've pulled your hair out already. I can see it. I need to learn from you that I don't have to pull my hair out. Sons posture themselves seeking input from fathers. Sons honor fathers. Paul says you honor Epaphrodites. Honor him. See, in our, in our world that's taught us to be so independent, the world, the culture that we live in has told us that it's weak to be dependent upon someone else. When you're facing a difficulty, figure it out yourself. Do something yourself. And we end up doing a solo dance. And then we wonder why it's not going well. Because the world has taught us, the culture of the day has taught us, it's all about you doing what you need to do. Independence. I want to tell you that the, the truth of, of how God created us to do life is with one another. Submitted. Connected. In family. With one another. Honoring fathers. And so some of us, some of us we realize, hey, I need a spiritual father in my life. I need a mentor in my life. But everything I've tried just hasn't worked. I think perhaps for some of us it's because we haven't postured ourselves as sons. So why don't you stand? I want to pray for us again. Lord, thank you that you created us with beautiful intention. You created us to be interdependent, that we would need one another, that you would work and flow and move in us through one another as one of the primary ways that we connect with you. Lord, where we've been independent, where we've disconnected from relationship, where we haven't postured ourselves as sons, will you help us to repent, help us to come into a more healthy God way of living that we will be sons 
Thank you, Lord, that you're developing us into fathers, but we can only be fathers if we're first sons. Lord, help us. Help us to posture ourselves as sons in your house. In your name we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. Becoming fathers, becoming sons, and the third aspect I want to talk about in this culture in the Philippian church, which is, which is in there, but it's not necessarily written about, is becoming friends. Anyone want more friends? Come on, we love friends. Philippians 2 verse 25. I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Paul speaking about Epaphroditus, referring to him as his brother, as his co-worker, as his fellow soldier. I think he's talking about a friend. He's talking about someone he's in relationship with. This is not a stranger. These are people that are journeying together in the Lord. Friends. Again, over here, we, we see no barriers, no boundaries in this relationship. Epaphroditus, also not a Jew, but a Gentile. And his name likely means that he was dedicated to um, Aphrodite, the pagan goddess of love. That's what his name means. We can assume from his name that that's what his parents named him. He was named after goddess of love. Clearly pagan, Gentile, not serving the Lord. Somewhere on his journey gets saved. His name could even mean that he was a patron of gambling. Paul a Jew, Epaphrodites, Gentile. Again, we're seeing now we're brothers, co-laborers, soldiers together for Christ. No boundaries, no barrier in this friendship. Man, we need this. Our country needs this. Our world needs this, that we will remove the boundaries and the barriers between cultures, between races, between social, economical differences. We need to remove these boundaries and just be brothers and sisters in Christ because that is who we are, created in him and by him. Paul refers to Philippians. We started there in 2 verse 12. What does he address them as? Friends. Therefore, my dear friends. See, Paul is friends with the Philippian church. We need friendship. We need one another. You know, the stats are a little bit scary. I did a survey of millennials. That's kind of anyone under the age of 40 or between the ages of, I think, 25 and 40, somewhere there. They did a survey and they asked these millennials, what do they want in life? 80% responded to say they wanted to be rich. And of that 80%, another 50% of them said they wanted to be rich and famous. <laughs> a different survey by a popular retail brand did a survey of 1,500 millennials and asked them, what matters most to you? 95% responded, me. Houston we have a problem. Harvard University, they did a 75-year-long study, and I believe it's still ongoing. It's about 85 years in the, rain, in the making um, at, at this point in time. It's called the Harvard Study of Adult Development, the longest longitudinal study of human life ever done. They asked 
Questions of a diverse range. How's your work? How's your relationship? If you're married, how's your, how's your marriage going? How are your friends going? How's your health? How are you feeling? Are you feeling connected? All of these different diverse questions just about life. They studied life. They took a group of Harvard students as one half of the, the pool of the, the case study and the other half, they took some of the poorest of the poor from the Boston streets. These diverse groups and they studied them. For 75 years they studied them. Longest study ever done. This is now science. This is not even in the scripture. This is just science. What did all of this research find? What was the take out of 75 years of research? I quote Professor Robert Waldinger, one of the directors of this study. Open quote. The clearest message that we get from the 75-year study is this. Good relationships keep us happier and healthier. 75 years of studying human life. What did they find? Good relationships keep you happier and healthier. One of the previous directors of this, uh, this research study, a guy by the name of George Valiant. Let me quote him. The key to healthy aging is... Relationships, 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 end quote. This is profound. See, three things that they learned from this, this study, they're now continuing this research and they now are, are doing the, the case study with, with the children and the grandchildren or people that they initially started with. But three primary lessons that they learned from this study is that social connections are good for us. That, that loneliness kills that people that are connected are happier, that they're healthier, and that they live longer. That isolation results in earlier brain function um, decline. Loneliness causes brain function to decline. It causes shorter lives, and it causes poorer health. Now, part of the study, they, 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 they ask questions about you know, exercise and food and diet and, and all of these things. And now, hey, eating well is important. Don't get me wrong. We're going to cover that in a couple of weeks' time. Exercising and being active is important. Don't get me wrong. We need to do this. We need to live lives where we steward our bodies well. Yet, the thing that caused longevity and healthy living more than all of that other stuff was relationship. You know, I don't know, I can think of a scripture that speaks of this, but let me finish the other two points first. They learned that quality relationships matter. It's not about quantity, it's about having quality relationships. The third thing was that good relationships protect our bodies and our brains. That's science. Right in the beginning of creation, back in the book of Genesis, chapter 2 and verse 18. The Lord God said, after creating stuff, everything was good. He then said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. We were never created to be alone. And when we live alone, when we live in isolation, when we live disconnected, will we remove ourselves from all of the benefits that God created us to have together 
from one another. Health, joy, happiness, all of these things. Our, pro- our world is, is, in, is in a major problem at the moment. 80% of people under the age of 18 report feeling lonely. 73% of millennials report feeling lonely. Interestingly, though, only 40% of people over the age of 65 report feeling lonely. Can you see how society has totally degenerated when it comes to social fitness, social interaction, social value? We have a problem. We need fathers. We need sons. We need friends. We need friends. Nicky Gumbel from Alpha. Anyone heard of Alpha? He was at a, a seminar on global politics, and the speaker said, the speaker, he said his mother taught him when he was a child that if you want to make friends, you have to learn to play with other people's toys. So simple, yet so profound. If you want to make friends, you have to learn to play with other people's toys. See, you, you, you can't make friends when it's all just about you and what you want to do and you're living in isolation and independence. Hey, if you want to be my friend, come over here and just come, come join in my little camp. It's like, no, we need to learn to play with other people's toys. They, uh, they put together, through this book of Philippians actually as well, the Alpha Team, four ways to develop good friendships. I think the science and the stats have shown us that we need good friendships. So nudge your neighbor and say, stay awake for the next three minutes as we bring this to a close and as you learn how to make good friendships and to develop friendships. The first point, a genuine interest in others is a great way to develop friendships. Having a genuine interest in others. I thought I need to put some scripture to these things to see if this really is true. They didn't put these scriptures inside. I just went through just the book of Philippians. We see in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You see, as we are obedient to the scriptures, we'll make good friends, as we are genuinely interested in others. The second way to develop good friends was that we have a common concern for the interests of Jesus. Again, we see this in the scripture, Philippians 1.27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together, not alone, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. A common concern for the interests of Jesus. The third way to develop uh, good friends is that we'll have a common vision, common goal for our lives. Again, we see this in the book of Philippians in chapter 2, verse 2. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. We see this unity, this common goal, that we will together see Jesus be glorified. It's another great way to develop friends. The fourth way that Alpha said is a great way to develop great friendships is to give without expecting anything in return. We see this again in Philippians 2 verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain 
conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. You see, when you invite someone for a meal and they come and enjoy all of your um, wonderful food and refreshments and hospitality and chocolates, the chocolates that you didn't want to put out but then you thought you had to and then your visitors ate all of them and then you thought this is not good. No, in that moment, value others above yourselves. Be generous and bless them. And that when you go to their house and all they give you is a chomp for dessert, enjoy that chomp and be grateful. (laughs) It's not a transactional thing. Be generous. It's not about I give so that I can get something in return. Give and be generous without expecting anything in return. John Wimber said people come to church for many different reasons, but they stay for only one. Friendship. See, relationships require intentionality. Relationships require us to maybe reduce our screen time and have more people time. Being intentional about relationships looks like us not looking for friends. It looks like us becoming friends because there's a very big difference. I think a lot of us look for friends, but few of us become friends. As you become a friend, you will find a friend. In Philippians, as we go back to chapter 2, verse 30, Paul speaking about Epaphroditus. He says, because he almost died for the work of Christ, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. See, we see this friendship between Paul and Epaphroditus, a brother, a co-worker, and he's risking his life for Paul. What does Jesus say about this in John chapter 15, verse 13? Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Oh, come on, don't we all want a friend like that? I want a friend that'll lay down his life for me. (laughs) I want a friend that'll take his life in place of mine. Jesus did that. And, And we're invited into this beautiful unity of friendship, relationship, connection, that we will go to that extreme of being willing to lay down our lives for one another. See, relationships are just simply a matter of obedience. Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second sounds like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Now the word neighbor over there in the Greek refers to basically anyone. Refer to community. Refer to one another. Love one another. And so when it says love your neighbor as yourself, it's not speaking about just the person that lives at the house next door to you. It's speaking about the person sitting next to you right now. It's speaking about the person in the classroom or the office cubicle next door to you. It's speaking about us together that we would love one another as we love one another, as we serve one another, as we develop friendship with one another, oh, life goes well. There's still challenges and trials, but in the midst of all of that, we find encouragement, we find comfort, we find life, we find so much stuff. Jesus calls us to be friends. 
As we carry on in John 15, verses 14 to 15, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. As we're studying this book of Philippians, today we were digging into the culture. And in that culture, we're seeing that there are fathers. We're seeing that there are sons and we're seeing that there are friends. This is what we need to steward, invest in, and be intentional about. We need more social fitness. We are probably the most socially unfit generation that's ever lived on the face of the earth. That's why we feel lonely. To be socially fit, to have friendship, to be a son, to be a father requires us to do something. It requires us to be intentional that we will become socially fit, established, healthy. Won't you stand? I'm sure from that Harvard research, you're realizing that you need people. We need one another. Life without relationships is really no life at all. It's what the research tells us. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for relationship with you. Thank you that we're connected with you. Lord, we ask that you will now help us to have deeper and more meaningful, uh, significant relationships with one another. That, Lord, you will raise us up to become fathers. That, Lord, you will help us to position ourselves as sons. Lord, help us to father others and help us to be fathered by those that have gone before us. Lord, help us to co-labor with one another in unity that we will find common vision, common goals, common um, approach in, in life because of you, Lord. Lord, help us to have deep and great friendships, connections, relationships. Help us to grow in these relationships. Help us to be sons and daughters. Oh, Lord, we say we need your help. We need your help to be socially fit, that we won't feel alone, that your presence is with us when we feel alone. But, Lord, thank you that you also give us people that we can reach out to when we're feeling alone, that we can find friendship, connection with one another within this family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite our ministry teams to come to the front. If you need prayer today, our team will be up front. I would love to pray with you. I felt the Lord was redeeming things from a health perspective. If you feel like you've, uh, you've had a decline in hearing, in vision, um, in, in smell, or any of these things, decline in uh, mobility, uh, we want to pray for you. If you've got pain in your body, we want to pray for you. And if you don't yet know Jesus, the greatest relationship that you ever can have is with him, and I want to invite you to come to the front and would love to, to tell you more about Jesus and invite you into a relationship with him. If you're visiting, please do join us at our hospitality center downstairs. We'd love to connect. Otherwise, tea and coffee downstairs. Go and have fellowship with someone. Be brave. Take a step of boldness. Get socially fit. Invite someone for lunch. God bless you guys. See you next week Sunday.